Welcome to our first episode of Season 3 of the Live Lounge podcast series. And due to the COVID-19 outbreak, we were unable to record our podcast in March in front of a live audience. So instead, we've brought you this special edition relating to small businesses in China and, and how they are going to potentially recover from this crisis. And I think we find ourselves at the moment in China somewhere between the end of the virus and the beginning of economic downturn. And we're not really sure of the long-term effects of this downturn. But we think this is the right time to talk to businesses, particularly hardest hit ones, um, about their experiences that might be useful for the other small businesses out there. So introducing the panel, we've got Frederick Fuso. He's the country manager of Zizi's China, the pizza restaurant. We've got Tomo Tai. He's the executive assistant of room division at the Sokotai Hotel in Shanghai. We've got Jennifer Doring, who's the director of marketing and partnerships at Riviera Events. Supporting these businesses, we've got two experts. We've got Yiming Wang, who's the partner at PwC in Beijing. And we've got Will Zhou, who's a senior lawyer at Denton's Law Offices in Shanghai, to offer some financial and legal practical tips for small businesses out there. So um, I'll start the live lounge basically talking to Fred first and asking him about some of the direct impacts to his business in Shanghai. Well, first of all, I think that we, um, we right away felt we knew from day one that when that news came out, so obviously we reacted pretty quickly. So um, obviously we started even before the uh, actual measure came out. So it was mask for everybody, sanitizing everything, door and door. I mean, the old, the old things that people are doing now, obviously. So we started pretty much right away. When it comes to staff, that was a bit more tricky because, you know, when something like this comes out, you don't want to send panics all around. But we started to think pretty quickly because we found ourselves after a couple of days that the actual business keep dropping every day by 25, 25%. So we're starting to work on schedules for staff, basically. I see. Um, am I right in saying that, you, you know, you've been in China for some time and you probably yeah. saw the tail end effects of the SARS back in 2003. Um, yeah. I mean, what sort of survival tactics from that experience helped you prepare for this one? I think that, um, unfortunately, uh, from my experience and Obviously, I've been in China about 16 years. So and I think, unfortunately, we can't compare. But I think it's a very different situation. But what's different about it? Um, how, how do you see it as different? Well, I think first is uh, there was only 35 countries affected when during SARS. I think now we're about 110 or 120 countries at last count. There was a lot less people traveling. China was uh, actually growing at 10%. And the actual GDP for China, the contribution to the world of China actually was about maybe 3 to 4%. So we, we really can't compare. The situation mm. is very different. Yes, and I think also social media wasn't quite fully formed at that point, Correct. which seems to have added another dimension to this, this particular virus, isn't it? Um, I mean, in these sorts of situations, how long do you think a, a restaurant can typically survive under these circumstances? Well, I would say I would even go a little bit further, but I would say it's just not just restaurant. I think that um, small businesses, obviously, SME, I guess that uh, most of the company in China are probably even around the world, right? I mean, we all, we all know that we rely on cash flow. So uh, the difference with restaurant is that you've got a lot of cash coming in, but you've got a lot of cash coming out. So the margin are quite thin. So therefore, and most of the people actually probably don't don't carry more than, than probably two months. You see, two to three months. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what people will carry. So we're running into some um, very difficult situation. And then with uh, with Zizi Pizza, I mean, you've you've obviously got the store in yep. Shanghai, but did you also rely a lot on online revenue before this um, crisis, or or have you kind of now leveraged online in order to sustain revenue? Well, we try, but um, I, I think that to our 
have two issues there that uh, we, we, we knew before we started. But uh, first, we're a bit of a different market. So Chinese people, obviously, 80, 90% will eat Chinese food. So we're not the first one to come when it comes to, try to choose uh, uh, your lunch. That was the first one. And second, basically, our revenue, online revenue, before the breakout was only about 8%, even mm-hmm. less than that, probably about 5%. So it's certainly not substantial enough in order to mm-hmm. keep any business going. Have you actually, through this crisis, been forced to try some new ideas in order to not just survive, but to think of sort of new ways of generating revenue? When it came out, right, I think it was very difficult to do much because obviously you also have to deal with the FDA regulations, the Food and Drug Administrations, which putting a lot of barriers between what, as to what you could actually do. Mm-hmm. So it was quite difficult. And I think that there was not much. Um, we tried to push the online business, do some uh, discounting. Uh, do some um, loyalty cards, but when when people don't want to don't want to eat your food mm. or they just don't want to buy it, take away, they just it's very tough, right? Mm. You have to leverage what it's going to cost you to do that to set up a platform against what mm. kind of revenue you're going to make. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just just quickly, what what were some of the restrictions that were put in place by the government for food and beverage that that was really kind of tying your hands? Uh, well, basically, they just came in one day and basically they shut the restaurant, so um, we just couldn't mm. operate. So. And the issues that you had at Bugoy had is that we were, we are in the mall, right? So obviously, you know, they, you know, all the restaurants were in the same boat, right? So they just decided that from one day to another, we just couldn't operate and only doing to go food, right? So to take take away, but uh, not with not much notice. Even if I knew, I knew this was going to happen. I, I, I already had it in my mind, but what else could I? Have? There's not much I could have done. So with this um, experience, do you think it's it's changed or will change customers' behaviour for good? You know, what sort of new normal is going to come out of people buying food and beverage? You know, will this become a sort of forgotten memory in a few months' time or will it really change the way food and beverage has to operate in China? I think for the restaurant, I think it will come back. And I think it will on the local level. Uh, mm. I think eventually we'll come back and we can see that already those past few days. We wow. see people and we see people outside and it, it will come back. Now, mm. is it going to come back to the level that we know it? No. I mean, I honestly said to, to everybody now, I know that it won't, it won't pass the 70 to 80% that what we used to know. And that's for a long time. Long what, time. Why is that? What, what's, what's the reason for that? Well, it's, it's, quite, it's quite easy to understand. I'm sure we all do, right? But the travel restrictions are not going to be lifted up so easily. We know when people are shutting down and putting some travel restrictions, but we don't know when they're going to take them away. Mm. So that, that's going to take time. So you've got that plus the confidence of people coming back to places with mm. crowded people. So we can see that lunchtime is working. Evening is just a catastrophe for a lot of places. Okay. And has your store reopened now? Well, uh, but bad news, actually, we're going to, we're actually exiting China. So because the reason okay. why is, yeah, we are, yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll sort of move on to Tomo Tai now. So Tomo, you're the um, assistant manager uh, of rooms <clears throat> in Sokotai Hotel in Shanghai. Beautiful boutique hotel. I absolutely love this hotel. How did the outbreak impact your staff and hotel operations um, from the outset? New of the coronavirus outbreak was uh, circulated a few days just before the Chinese New Year. So we figure out we need to prepare and implement precautionary measures. So we distribute the mask to the each and every uh, one of our team and also have them on standby at our lobby reception for our guests checking to the hotel. And the mask and hand sanitizers are available for our guests upon request. Uh, we reorganized the teamwork schedule to ensure sufficient uh, coverage, particularly when the staff were not able to return to work due to the flight cancellation and any guarantee that we imposed. 
And also we retrained our staff on personal hygiene and also cross-training and multitasking uh, implemented in some areas that are lacking of the staff on duties. And also we have conducted a body temperature check. Uh, staff who display any sign of respiratory symptom will be required to seek medical consultation and stay at home until they are certified by the medical professional to return to work. And also mandatory quarantine for any staff returning from the high affected areas. So you've got your F&B operation opening again soon at the hotel. How are you going to find that balance between customer safety and creating a normal atmosphere for your guests? Uh, first of all, for the safety of the utmost importance for, for our customers. So the, uh, we have recommended guests to wear the mask, first of all. And uh, for the hygiene requirement has been really um, ultimately focused on. And also, actually, our urban cafe is kind of a sharing concept. So we have com- uh, communal utensils will be offered for the addition out food onto their own individual plate or bowl. And also, um, we have recommended use non- uh, non-cash form of the payment for the billing settlement. In the normal atmosphere, uh, definitely we do what we did best. For example, our chef interact with the guests, particularly uh, regular guests. We have uh, quite a few uh, long-stay guests in-house and the consistency in our food qualities and offering uh, attractive promotion. For example, particularly during the special occasions such as this month, we had uh, International Women's Day. Okay, great. Just out of interest, what sort of percent occupancy rate are you running at the moment? Uh, actually, we are currently in uh, um, improving and we have around um, above 10% so far. 10%, okay. So do you have any survival strategies that can help small boutique hotels like yours get through an economic downturn? Uh, first of all, stay calm, don't panic, and uh, close communication and uh, work with uh, local authority. And also should be uh, transparent to the staff and our customers and keep abreast with the latest update on the situation and also st- uh, streamline on the expenses without impacting the guest experiences. Mm-hmm. And also we focus on the um, cost efficiency, such as closure of the guest floors that improve the uh, cleaning productivity and uh, energy efficiency. You've obviously proactively changed the way you train staff off the back of this virus. Do you think some of these changes will stay for good in the industry or do you think things will return back to the way they were? Yes, actually a few points. Uh, first point is uh, tracking of the staff health through the Alipay APP. Actually, this is quite a new um, function. So I believe that we can con- continue using and also hotel offering uh, takeaway service and also keep intensifying the staff awareness and the alertness on safety and hygiene measures through our consistent training. Well, it sounds like some of the training measures will pay off for you in the long term. But thank you so much, Tomo, for all of those insights about Sokotai Hotel. So now it's time to turn to Jennifer Doring. Jennifer is the Director of Marketing and Partnerships at Riviera Events, the event management company here in Shanghai. Jen, perhaps can you tell us a little bit about your firm and also some of the impacts that this outbreak has had? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, unfortunately, we've been flagged as one of the top industries that's been impacted by this, given uh, events tend to involve large gatherings of people. Um, so the yeah, the impact was fairly immediate. And in Q1, we lost 100% of our revenue. So we had one event in Bangkok between the 23rd of January and now. 
um, which obviously was not what was in the pipeline a few months ago. So unfortunately, it has had a, a pretty devastating impact um, with cancellations or postponement of events. Some, some of our clients' events are obviously more time sensitive. And in the early days, we were encouraging them that if it made sense for them to move their events to either Singapore or Bangkok, where we could continue to deliver that event for them. Obviously, those regions have now sort of gone into a similar lockdown. Um, but in the in the sort of end of January, beginning of February, they were, uh, Singapore and Bangkok were continuing to sort of operate as normal. We work with a lot of international clients. So um, in terms of the impact, it's it's across, you know, fashion, clients, tech, automotive, everyone has been impacted differently. And actually, it's it's been quite nice to have conversations with the likes of Netflix or Ubisoft who are in gaming because their, their numbers have been fantastic for the beginning of this year, as I'm sure you can imagine with a lot of people staying at home in terms of the pickup we're, we're seeing events being in the diary for, for April again it's too early to to sort of tell whether that will go ahead and will happen but it's mm. positive just to start seeing events coming back into the pipeline mm. well you talk about clients cancelling I mean are there cancellations or are these more postponements and do you see that revenue coming back later on in the year yeah, we're hopeful. We hope that it really is just uh, postponed revenue to, and we have an incredibly busy end of the year. Um, and that's what we've been obviously encouraging clients to do. But in some cases, obviously, the, the event was time sensitive and it had to happen at, at that period of time, whether it was for a particular launch or, you know, trying to tie in with a, another announcement of theirs. So it really mm. depends. I, I'd say uh, 60 to 70 percent have postponed until, you know, further notice until they work mm. out internally what they're going to do and mm -hmm. uh, and the other is just sort of point blank cancelled and and no longer relevant to hold that particular event yeah. and I guess your industry will have the ripple effect to other people like Tomo who run the hotels given that they're often the venues right yeah absolutely it's it's affected everyone in the industry mm -hmm. right from the AV supplier through to the venue mm, okay well that's quite a serious impact to an agency I mean what sort of immediate actions were taken to stabilize the firm when the realization was that you'd virtually have no revenue for the first quarter yeah um well because the impact was so immediate and it happened very suddenly our response was pretty immediate as well we didn't we didn't wait around too long to make decisions obviously the the sort of first and foremost was making sure the teams were safe and healthy given that everyone had sort of gone off for chinese new year we needed to make sure where their whereabouts was um, we were kind of logging people's travel plans, where had they been, um, where were they heading to next and, and whatnot. So luckily, everybody everybody was safe and healthy. But then quickly after that, the next steps were, unfortunately, to make the business pretty lean. So there were redundancies made in more junior positions and roles that hadn't been um, with the business for too long. We froze all hiring. But our main strategy was actually uh, come February 1st, we uh, reduced working hours to 50 we knew Q1 was going to be a total write-off and, and February was really that month we were feeling it. So everyone was working remotely and also 50% of the time. Um, it did allow us to, you know, tick off some of those things on our list that you never quite get to when a business is thriving. Um, so we've, we've seen the silver lining in that. We kept all senior leadership on board. We wanted to make sure that when we do get back, we can hit the ground running, knowing that that knowledge remains within the, the company. Um, and naturally, we are a higher risk business because we are project work rather than retainer work. So we've become 
become exposed very quickly. And I guess finally, we, we did relocate some of our staff again in, in the early days um, when it first happened to our Bangkok and Singapore offices where they were able to still have a, an impact and support the teams that were there that were still working on events. So how does the situation impact your supply chain, all those third party companies that help you make your great events? So we've been very fortunate that we've been working with a lot of our suppliers for the last 14 years, and they have been very understanding. Obviously, our clients have been putting pressure on us in terms of pushing back around standard down payment percentages and whatnot in in fear that the event might not take place. And as a result, that obviously then means we need to lean on our suppliers. So we have been delaying payments to manage cash flow, as has, I think, everybody within the industry. Um, We've we've tried to uh, seek out some support around VAT and social charges, but we've not really had any confirmation yet. And um, another challenge is that because we are in the service industry, we don't have any access to sort of a cheap loan or anything at at this point in time. So yes, it's really been leaning on those relationships and and testing, Mm. testing them. So off the back of this crisis, do you see any permanent changes to the way your industry works? When it comes to our business, we, you know, human nature is that we're very, we're social animals. And what we deliver is really offline interaction. It's building relationships. It's about having that connection with people on the ground, having those immersive experiences and being physically present. Um, So we can't see that being replaced. We've all experienced it to a degree, I think, in the last few months around the difficulty of communicating and building relationships with colleagues and whatnot by working remotely. Um, So for a time it works, but the value that we're really offering to our clients is about giving them an opportunity to really wow their guests and have that sort of physical interaction and appealing to all the five senses and making that experience really memorable for them. So what we do, unfortunately, can't be taken online. I do see opportunity for other businesses. Uh, Hygiene is probably an area that we'll see change. Uh, It will be more prevalent in events so whether it's hand sanitizers making sure that the venues are being responsible and keeping keeping their their venues very clean so I think we will see a a bit of a shift in behavior and change in that sense but we're already seeing clients reaching back out to us as I mentioned and the pipeline building for Q3 and Q4 and they're wanting to start talking about their plans again and those Mm. plans are the same as they were pre-COVID-19. Thank you so much Jen for sharing those stories with us and we really do wish you the best of luck in the coming months for your business. Right, so now we're going to talk to the experts on the panel. So I've got Yiming Wang, who is the partner at PwC in Beijing. Yiming, what are some of the financial concerns and struggles that SMEs have been facing in these last few weeks? Uh, what we see is most companies are expecting like the outbreak would be elevated by the end of March and the business could revert to the normal state. Yet the epidemic riding rapidly outside of China. So with this situation, actually we see the situation now is more complicated. Financial markets have received a hard hit by the uncertainty. Global supply chain have been disrupted. Investment and the customer demands have been relegated significantly. Although the business environment may have temporary success, the history shows the new opportunities emerge after every storm has been passed. So in terms of the situation now, the persisting through this 
difficulty now is crucial, I think, for most the companies. Mm. So I should say like the cash flow management is the biggest concern for most SMEs and even large entities. This is key for company survival. Well, even everyone knows like the importance of cash flow management. But what I say is the most companies can do more and should do more in order to better manage cash flow, especially manage better on their operational cash in. So that's the situation I say, mm. the trends I see in the market now. Okay, so just on cash flow, what sort of practical advice can you offer SMEs listening in relation to cash? What I say, there's, I think, two things really important. The first of all, companies should maintain enough of cash to cover short-term liabilities, which they have to pay. Um, in terms of maintain enough of cash, it does not mean holding cash on hands, actually. Because, you know, holding cash on hands is not useful always because the situation changed so quick. So in fact, maintain enough Enough of cash, it, I think it means trying your best to make the cash flow forecast accurate, actually, and yeah. prepare backup solutions in different scenarios. To make the cash flow forecast accurate, how to make it accurate? The tip is to make the cash flow forecast start from the business, not from the balance sheet PNL, because actually the balance sheet PNL is the result of your business. So, so we need to make it accurate. We need to start the forecast, start to ask the estimation from the from the root cause of the business. So this will make the forecast more accurate, actually. And mm. the best solutions actually means the scenarios the business changed so quickly so we may need to have different options to uh, prepare uh, when the situation change or situation um, in the uh, best or worst estimation we can know what what is the backup solutions mm. well what are people's options then to maybe obtain cash in the short term if the cash is not already available within the company i mean are there bank loans available and are the interest rates low uh, in terms of get cash i think there's two ways the first way is from outside yeah just like you said the bank interest is lower now and Actually, I think almost all the national and regional banks have released special loan policies available to SMEs now. So, so I would like to strongly encourage SMEs to communicate with the banks. Um, most of my clients have got valuable support from banks as long as they can justify their business recovery potential. Yeah. So the communication with banks can make topics can contain the extension of existing loans and the new loans application. So I think outside help is one way to thinking about. And in terms of inside, actually, I think this should have a motivation, not only from the financial department, making the business department involved is key to making a meaningful stock take about cash in potentials. This should be, I think, at least including to start take possibilities to convert the inventory to cash, the possibilities to sell out prepaid cars, the possibilities to sell out any tangible assets or intangible assets. Actually, mm-hmm. what I saw in the market is a lot of entities just leaving this work to financial department only. But you know, financial person is definitely not at the position where I can understand the market and the customer to the full side. So I think we should encourage and motivate business department to figure out all the potentials in order mm. to improve the operational cash and reduce the operational cash. Mm, thank you so much, Eming, for those financial insights. Well, I'm now going to turn to Will Zhou from Denton's Law Offices in Shanghai. So, Will, what sort of concerns have come up in the last few weeks in relation to legal issues for SMEs? 
But as far as I can see over the last uh, like one and a half month, some of the common concerns that SMEs might have over the outbreak, including some issues like performance of contracts under force measures and employment, labor issues such as laid off, salary payment and cutting costs as well as the rent issues. I mean, these are obviously contractual issues on a number of levels. Perhaps could you go a little bit further on, say, force majeure claims and maybe help SMEs to understand their rights outside of contractual agreements? Okay, so uh, obviously the the outbreak of the the epidemic will inevitably cause serious obstacles to the implementation of the current large number of commercial contracts. Therefore, a lot of people might think about using their force majeure as a legal exemptions from performing obligations stipulating the contract. But unfortunately, it's not always the case and it should be examined on a case-by-case basis. Uh, from the legal perspective, force majeure means an objective situation that cannot be foreseen, avoided or overcome. That's defined by the Chinese law. But however, the question whether the epidemic event can be seen or regarded as force majeure by the court or by both parties in a specific contract and can constitute the legal exemption in the legal sense is not always easy to answer. You might need to carefully examine in combination with the fundamental purpose of the contract. What kind of contract it is? Is it is it commercial lease contract or is it construction contract or service contract. So you need to look at the different type of contracts that you have in, in your hand. And also you need to look at the, the actual performance of the contracts, like how much impact the epidemic has imposed on the, on the performance. And also you, you also need to check your force majeure terms or provisions uh, stipulated in your contract. If uh, it is clearly stipulated in contract, you, you can have a very proper excuse to use it. But if not, uh, that's another story. So, Will, that sort of claims procedure can actually take some time. I mean, what about those SMEs that don't really have a lot of time? They maybe have one to two months cash supply, um, but they're still sitting on three or four-year rental contracts. I mean, what happens to them? Um, It's not easy to terminate the contract without reasons. So you can actually talk to the uh, lessor and... uh, to try to get reduced reduction of the rent or extend the lease, lease period appropriately on the ground that the purpose of your commercial uh, contract uh, cannot be achieved during the epidemic prevention yes. and the control period. Okay, well, thank you very much for those insights, Will, and let's hope um, most SMEs don't need to make any legal claims, but at least we now feel a little bit more armed as to some of the rights. And of course, uh, a lot of the topics haven't been covered in this podcast just because there's probably too many to cover. But if you would like to reach out and contact some of the speakers that you've heard today, then please feel free to speak to the British Chamber of Commerce and they'd be more than happy to put you in touch. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) 